0: On today's episode of the Cosmos podcast, we are wrapping up our special 10-part series on sponsorship with a discussion on naming rights and other marquee inventory. If you haven't already, we encourage you to take a look back at some of the other episodes we've done over the past several weeks, specifically looking at sponsorship. This episode and last week's episode on digital sponsorship were two of our special ones, but we also did a series that followed the sponsorship sales process pretty sequentially. So whether you're new to sponsorship or looking for some new ideas and best practices, we hope you'll give those a listen. In this episode, we discuss the rise in popularity of naming rights over the past several years, some of the pros and cons of naming rights, and what types of companies to look for if you're actively selling a naming rights opportunity for your property. If you're like me and you enjoy listening to podcasts on your commute, then the best way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe. It's completely free and you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. If you have any questions about anything mentioned on the show, please feel free to reach out anytime. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, even Instagram, or email at info at We hope you enjoy. episode we wanted to really focus on naming rights and really the the marquee uh, inventory um, that properties and organizations have. And uh, the reason being that, you know, it really seems like naming rights or at least maybe the mindset about naming rights and the the comfort of of selling naming rights is a lot more prevalent nowadays. Um, Why do you think that is?
1: Well, first of all, I think it's interesting. (coughs) I think it's a good final topic here for uh, this seminar because I think Naming rates is a very new phenomenon relative to sponsors. So you think uh, in Toronto, and the Blue Jays played at Exhibition Stadium. When I grew up, Blue Jays played at Exhibition Stadium. At least played at Maple Leaf Gardens, and and more recently, or you know, I guess twenty years ago, the, uh, the Blue Jays that played Skydome, none were named. <clears throat> and these are you know high profile teams. Imagine the Toronto Maple Leafs in a facility that wasn't named. So it's a very recent and you know, couple of decades old phenomenon as far as naming rights, both of events, uh, facilities and events. Um, so <clears throat> I think it's emerging and I think that's, you know, um, I think that's why the, the uh, and, and why I think that is, I think it's a great opportunity for organizations. And I know we're talking to a number of municipalities and nonprofits that are still oftentimes behind the curve and are maybe reluctant to name a building for somebody who's not an individual, um, but reluctant to name it, for a TD Bank or a Home Depot, and I think that for those who are reluctant, it's a real missed opportunity. Right.
0: Um, so from from the property side, uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense. It as we'll get into, you know, pretty significant uh, revenue driver, revenue opportunity for uh, for for properties uh, for sponsors. Though it, it maybe uh, we're seeing it more often that this desire to seek out opportunities for naming rights. Why, why right. do you think it's um, maybe of interest to them more now? Well, I
1: think, where? so practical example, we're sitting here in mid 2018 and, you know, we're based in Mississauga and the two facilities closest to us were both just renamed. There is Paramount Center, which is, the, so people may not know the, the Hershey Center is now going to be Paramount, the Center. And um, Powerade Center is CAA Center. Um, and both have, there's two examples of two companies with very different interests. Paramount is a, growing restaurant chain that wants their footprint to be stronger. They're going to have food options in the facility. So they have a direct benefit, but also it's a really big opportunity for them to brand themselves. They're, they're, an, they're a new company themselves. I think they're not more than 20 years old. You take that compared to CAA, <clears throat> there's a company that I think is a hundred plus years old or a hundred years old. And they've been in all, you think of them as automotive, but they've been in uh insurance and travel and all kinds of things so um, and, and they see the value not the name because everybody knows CAA so you think oh why would they want naming? but they're also thinking that it's activation it's maybe some of their other brands it's cars driving by the facility and people haven't renewed their membership and so you can see two very different companies that are spending um, north of a million dollars over uh, a period of time because they really see value. So I think it, I think it's an example each company has different motivations, but they're, they're game-changing decisions. Those are big, um, those names are gonna be said tens of thousands of times, and that's different from a traditional sponsorship. Right.
0: So so with that understanding, you know, it's, a, it's a lot more common now, a lot more uh, you know, people's mindset, a lot more open to naming rights and companies are seeing the value in it, big opportunity for properties. Um, So what we're going to focus on today is really first is, you know, talking about just some examples of this rise of naming rights and and how much more common it is now. Uh, We'll also talk about the value of naming rights and from both sides, um, you know, where, you know, where sponsors see the value in it, uh, where properties can can really see the value in naming rights, what factors really drive that value uh, through uh, through naming rights partnerships. Uh, And then we'll take a look at some of the companies who are more likely to purchase naming rights uh, with through some examples that we'll show. Uh, so just before we get started, um, we do normally like to talk about just a, a definition. So everybody's kind of on the same page of what we're talking about here. Um, so so naming rights, um, you know, really it's a, you know, it's an advertising, it's a sponsorship agreement where a company agrees to purchase uh, the the name of the event or the facility or something like that. And they usually will replace the, the traditional name with their corporate name. So. Example here being you know the Rogers Cup. It's a ATP tennis event in in, in Toronto. Um, it's the Rogers Cup or the Rogers Center. So that, that those are kind of examples of, of naming rights. Uh, but you can also look at it as a couple different levels. So there's you know title sponsorship, which is really that example of you know Rogers Cup. Um, they're titling the event or they're titling the the facility. Uh, and then there's presenting sponsor, which kind of gets um, included in kind of the naming rights. Um, moniker is, is in presenting sponsorship and that you can see in the example here on the screen is presented by a national bank. So that's kind of a presenting sponsor. Right. Tend tends to be a very, still very high level uh, marquee sponsor for, for a property, um, but just slightly different from maybe the title sponsorship. Uh, and then you get some cases like the Rogers Cup where you actually have a title sponsor, Rogers Cup, and you've got a presenting sponsor, National Bank. Now, yeah. those are probably a little bit uh, more rare. Um, but I guess the, for for the different for people kind of listening on the uh, on the stream here, when should people be thinking about a title sponsor versus a presenting sponsor? Is there are there different cases where one's more appropriate than the other?
1: I don't know if there's one's more appropriate than the other. I think sometimes where uh, people are reluctant is you have a it's not really the case here exactly, but you have a case where there's a historic name tied to something. So you have the. Uh, John Smith tournament and you don't want to remove John Smith's name from the tournament. You could say the John Smith tournament presented by national bank. So that allows you to still maintain the integrity uh, of the name or the institution, but also still have a corporate partner that gets a lot of leverage. So I think that's more common. I think what tennis Canada did was creative and that they've got two in essence, major partners that are attached to it what you'll see is you'll see arenas or facilities where, um, like CAA center, CAA center is the building, but RBC in the past has named one of the rinks inside the building. So you could play at the RBC rink in the CAA center. Um, Right. So that, you know, there's, there's concepts like that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've seen that too with, um, Uh, You know, the city of Kitchener, we, you know, the box offices was named, uh, certain lounges and areas being named, Uh, and for a lot of people that might be listening, you know, might be representing municipalities and things where that legacy naming rights is very common, where, you know, community center was named after a a real uh, prominent citizen or something like that may initially think, you know, we're kind of blocked out from naming rights, but with the presenting sponsor concept, maybe not, and you can still keep that legacy there. Right. So, Great. Uh, so just maybe just a, so a couple of examples of some recent naming rights uh, in the news. Um, quite recently in the past couple of weeks, the uh, the facility in Sault Ste. Marie uh, has been renamed the GFL Memorial Gardens. It was the SR center uh, before uh, one that probably just about everybody that's, that's listening has heard about at some point over the last few months is Scotiabank agreeing to uh, purchase the naming rights uh, for what is now the ACC or the Air Canada center. Um, that one being a record setting, uh, naming rights, uh, what is it, 40 40 million dollars a year for for 20 years. So um, a really prominent naming rights there, and we're going to touch on that one in particular a little bit more. Uh, you mentioned you know, the Powerade, <clears throat> the Powerade Center, um, going to be renamed the CAA Center. Mississauga is going to be renamed the Powerman, Paramount Five Food Center. Uh, so a lot of a lot of ones that have kind of recently kind of closed um, and will be changing names. And it seems, it really does kind of seem like every week there's more stories in the news about different naming rights opportunities that are becoming available. So, you know, these are just a couple of headlines pulled from the last couple of weeks where you can see it's not just major sporting venues, but convention centers and community centers and uh, soccer centers and theaters and and all sorts of different things where, um, you know, organizations that own these facilities are really looking at that and then saying, you know, is this an opportunity for us? And even, you know, we talked we talked about the Rogers Center. Since the uh, Scotia Bank naming rights, you've even heard talk of the the Blue Jays and Rogers considering selling the naming rights to Rogers Center, even though the team uh, or the team is owned by Rogers and the building's owned by Rogers. Right. You know, have to think that's because you know just down the block you see somebody getting 800 million dollars for their naming rights. Um, so, it begs the question, you know, what could we get for the Rogers right. Center? But so very common, anyways, that you know we're seeing a lot of stories lot of interest um, in in naming rights, um, which can kind of make it seem like it's all positive. You know, things are things are going well. A lot of a lot of names are, uh, a lot of companies are getting these really marquee assets, and and it's a new source of revenue for a lot of places. Um, we did want to kind of highlight a couple uh, you know, blunders or mistakes that have happened kind of over the years. Um, you know, so an example, uh, the first one there being Enron Field um, with the Houston Astros. So they found their naming rights partner in Enron, and it wasn't too long after that that their whole scandal came out and, and the Houston Astros were stuck with the name plastered all over their uh, facility. Uh, they were able to change it pretty quickly to Minute Maid Park, but um, you know that, that's an example. Uh, American Airlines, um, I believe this is back in 2011, but the NBA Finals, they had uh, the Miami Heat playing in the American Airlines uh, Center and, and the Dallas Mavericks playing in American Airlines Arena, both playing in the NBA Finals. Great opportunity for American Airlines, um, but you know, company shortly after they're declared for bankruptcy. Um, third example, uh, where the Oscars were were held or still are kind of held uh, for many years at the Kodak Theater in in Hollywood, and uh, you know, Kodak uh, going out of business, and and you know, kind of have to look back on that expense and say, you know, was seventy five million dollars for for naming rights a good business business decision? If shortly thereafter we went out of business, so. So we, we share these really just to kind of show that, you know, it's from on both, you know, in the case of the Houston Astros, you know, that is going to reflect poorly on the team. Uh, in the case of, you know, American Airlines, Kodak, you know, maybe naming rights wasn't the right investment for them where their businesses were at that time, but it's a really big decision on both sides, right? it's, yeah. it's it, it can, um, both sides really need to weigh is, it, is this the right opportunity for us at this time. So, um, so with that, you know, we wanted to kind of touch on some, some pros and cons Um, on the one hand, you know, on the, on the pro side, you can see with the cartoon here, you know, a lot of assets being named recently and um, it can be hard as a, you know, if you're a a property looking for new sources of revenue, it can be really hard to pass up that opportunity. If, if there's real interest for for the naming rights Um, on the con side, you know, this is where a lot of people kind of think this is where naming rights will lead us to is where you, you go so far that, you know, an example here, where, you know you end up naming a fountain the Procter and Gamble Febreze Fountain. And maybe that's you know going a little bit too far, not really in the spirit of it. But um I guess there's pros and cons to it, right? Yeah,
1: I think there is. And I think what I would say, you know, the con in that picture, I mean it's a sort of funny you know fun analogy there. But what I would say is that most people probably listening to this webinar are overly concerned about the con. Uh whereas the we're a far ways away from that. In other words, I think Sure, you want your partners to be correct fits in naming rights and ideally you don't want to be in a position where you take the first check that comes in the door or the first payment that comes in the door and you have a correct partner, but again, I think. You know, people were reluctant I, I again skydome and you know people would always say oh i'm going to call it the skydome forever well there's still some people that call it the skydome but. Most people call it Rogers Centre and the branding has had an effect. It's there visually. People know it as that. So even though there was an initial hesitation there, which ironically, you know, when BMO Field was announced, because there was no history, it didn't have a previous name, people didn't. There was no background because you were changing the name. It's funny how people. So I think the general situation is people are very tolerant to that, you know, Conceptually, because oh, I don't advertise on jerseys and don't do signage and don't do naming rights. It's just another one of those pieces that I think people are comfortable, and you know, hopefully, you can get a company that that not only to, just sees really good value in uh, being there. So I agree. There's a there's you can go too far, but I think we're closer to you know the not going far enough at this point.
0: Right, and like you kind of alluded to, I mean, there's a time we're seeing it now where. <clears throat> teams are selling more ads on the jerseys at the major league level with the NBA doing it now. Um, not sure if other leagues will kind of follow suit. Uh, you know, I know you've kind of told me stories of, you know, there was times when on the outfield wall in baseball, that was thought of, can't put signs on the outfield wall in baseball. Um, so it, it's just that, you know, that evolution over time, right? Coca-Cola was the first, it's a funny story, Coca-Cola was the
1: first when Coke they had a bottle, a big Coke bottle in the outfield of Fenway Park. It was the first uh, and it wasn't even exactly signage the argument was it wasn't a sign it was actually a coke bottle behind the outfield. and there was huge debate major league baseball battled arguing saying you can't do you don't have to go that far back to look at major league baseball where there's no signage you know it's it'll distract players it's just not you know it's an american pastime all these type of things i remember when coke was the first sponsor there. People were saying how controversial is now you look at Fenway park and there's 20 different companies with signs throughout the field. So again, I think people tend to be, um, change averse and I think it's just another step in, you know, is it really a difference if a building is called, um, uh, you know, Elm street building or it's called TD place, you know, and, and if it helps, uh, the city or the university or whatever it would be. I mean, what's the? You know, it's hard to understand what you what you'd really be losing.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, so a couple kind of some other pros and cons. Um, obviously, on the pro side, I think the the biggest one that weighs on everybody's mind is that this is a significant uh, source of revenue for us or could be. Yeah. So that's got got to be a you know in the pro. Um, a lot of cases, you know, we did share a couple of negative examples of some negative brand association with. Uh, with naming rights partners, but there could be a lot of positive brand association that uh, could come with it if it's a really, uh, you know, a brand that is really viewed positively by uh, by the community, then it could really help. Um, and some other, you know, marketing support. You know, that if that uh, company is is investing that significantly in the naming rights, they're you know they have a vested interest in in the facility being you know used and in having a lot of. Uh, foot traffic coming through for events so that, you know, there might be some, uh, you know, more in that kind of partnership sense might be some support there. And one of the best, again, I mentioned, it, but BMO
1: field when they did, uh, you know, BMO sponsored BMO field. I think that was a great example. of They put their name on the field. They put their name on the jerseys of TFC in the first ever game at BMO. And it's famous because, you know, it's a controversy because everybody threw their seat cushions back on the field, but they were BMO seat cushions. And, They did things to enhance that brand when it started. It gave TFC instant credibility. Uh, They had a soccer field and you had one company that said, look, we're going to step up in a huge way. And, you know, I don't know how many years TFC has been now, but two decades or whatever the time has been. Um, BMO has an association with soccer throughout Canada. And I think they, it started there where they really took a foothold and, um, you know, I, I think, so to your point there about marketing support and brand association, I think that's an example. You know, banks tend to have not a great reputation. I think the BMO relationship with TFC um, only helped. I don't think there was anything in that that hurt them. You know, you, have, you can get credit cards with TFC players on it and logos. I think, that, I think they would tell you that's been a wonderful experience and also whatever they spent. So this would be the other thing I would say back. To people. Whatever BMO has spent in all the years, I would think BMO would tell you that the investment's been great. So, and that's where you know I think coming to Scotia Bank or we talked about Scotia Bank there. I think pe- the mistake people make often is think that Scotia Bank overpaid. I don't believe it. I think that the value of these type of partnerships is significant. I mean, you have to make sure it works for you, but um, you know I'm really a believer in that, in in the value and it kind of building over time. I think the value of name rates is only gonna go higher over time as opposed to low. Yeah. Um,
0: so looking at the, the con side, uh, you know, we, saw, we showed a couple of those examples. The Enron field is an example. Some negative brand association is possible there. Um, that perception of selling out. So if you're selling the name of the fountain, that example, um, you know, that could be a bit of a con. Um, and then the opportunity cost is another one that um, has to be weighed for for a property that you know, in some cases, you know, you may, you may be able to generate you know three or four sponsorships from a particular category, for example. And if you're typically with the naming rights partner, uh, common um, benefit that comes with that is exclusivity. Uh, so you may actually block yourself out of a category. So does that present an opportunity cost for for other things? It so, can. I, I think
1: one interesting one again, the timing we're doing this is marijuana is in the process of being legalized. So you know, there is it's a really interesting. Field. There's going to be companies and some large companies are in that space, Pfizer and some companies that are heavily invested invested in that industry. Um, you know, would facilities decide, you know, is it like cigarettes where you say, well, we would never touched that? Or is it like alcohol where, you know, Labatt and Molson, and Sleeman and all kinds of companies have had naming rights for years. So I think that presents an interesting uh, situation, both in sponsorship and naming rights to say, is this an industry that... Um, upside or downside, which yeah. way do you go if a company that, you know, uh, I just heard recently second cup, pretty solid brand and they're going to be having, I don't know if it's marijuana products or they're going to have some things there. So, you know, does it, if second cup called you and said, we want to be a sponsor, is there any negative, positive, neutral connotation? So I, I think, I think what's interesting is to, to your point there, you got to weigh all the different things like, uh, and yeah. decision on, on what fits.
0: Right. Um right. so, so for properties, you know, the, they may come to that conclusion that it either it's not worth the the risks or it's a really big opportunity, we want to capitalize on it. Um part of selling it obviously is understanding what the value is of it and what why a potential sponsor would have any interest in, in naming rights. So um so we talk about the, these kind of three concepts of share of mind, share of heart, and share of market is, is really kind of Buckets you can kind of put the value of, of a naming rights partnership into for um, uh, for a sponsor. Um, now these examples are kind of are taken from an article uh, by the CBC about um, about the Scotia Bank deal, uh, and just pulled out some lines that really kind of provide some insight into why Scotia Bank would look at something um, like the naming rights to uh, what will be Scotia Bank Arena, because like you said, you know, there's you hear eight hundred million dollars. And, you know, that's a lot of money and, and it is, you know, record setting in terms of naming rights. So um, and there's, you know, studies, a lot of studies out there that will, uh, um, you know, debunk and say that, you know, it's it's not worth the money you know, there isn't you can't draw the line to direct ROI um, like you can with some other maybe advertising or, or marketing programs. So um, but if you kind of look at it from this perspective, the share of mind, share of heart, share of market, you can kind of see where where companies are seeing the value in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's relative,
1: you know, I say if you have $2 on you, a dollar fifty is a lot of money. Um, so, you know, you can look at it and say, oh, $40 million, $800 million is a lot of money. Well, not necessarily the Bank. If you're making billions and billions of dollars on a regular basis, well, who says it's a lot of money? It might be a great investment for what you get to, to be, have your name on the premier hockey facility, arguably, in the world. Um, and you want to be the hockey bank share hearts is so if you say you want to be the hockey bank what's the number one thing we can do to be the hockey bank and then what's that worth and is it worth you know again if it's worth one percent of your uh profit then you know the, the number can be overstated because most people are looking at it we don't have 40 million dollars in our bank account or we can't relate to 40 million dollars but uh we don't own Scotiabank, yeah. so i think it's People generally really struggle with that, with understanding dollars. They tend to want to put themselves in those situations, which is doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, it's it. You have to try and put yourself in the not even in the position of the employee at Scotia but the company itself. It's the company's funds. And is it a good investment for the person sitting there with X billion dollars? And, and again, I would argue that. As you say here, that
0: they, you know, it's an ability to achieve
1: achieve their goals in all three areas for Scotiabank.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so the examples being, uh, you know, share of mind, really being, um, you know, that awareness concept. People are aware of of your business and connections to, um, in this case, hockey. So, uh, the line from the article, the reach of a hockey sponsorship portfolio in Canada is significant. So that at some point, the the decision makers at Scotiabank in sponsorship decided that. We want, to, we want to market through through hockey because that is going to have such significant and deep reach into, into the Canadian communities, and that's going to be our way to, to, uh, to achieve that strong share of mind. Yeah. Um, the second one, share of heart, and that's really you know, appealing to the emotion of, uh, of consumers. And uh, the line from, from the article there, they've declared themselves as Canada's hockey bank. Um, so again, a very conscious decision to uh, tie themselves to hockey, something that a lot of people would consider very strong part of Canadian culture. Um, so as if Scotiabank can really position themselves as Canada's hockey bank, then all those people that really, you know, consider themselves deeply passionate about hockey might just have a better feeling about Scotiabank right. because of that.
1: Right. And if you're Canada's hockey bank, can can Toronto Maple Leafs really play out of the CIBC set? It's a problem. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to make, to reconcile those two cases. So I think that's where, um, you know, and, and banks for the banks, the banks in Canada, and yeah, it's pretty in part because they're very profitable. Um, they're really sophisticated with this stuff, you know, they really do a good job. CIBC, if anybody goes to Pearson Airport, CIBC's done an amazing job of, um, it's not exactly naming but it's close to it. You know, they have a CBC branches. They have named all the carts, you know, you, you could argue that. Um, so I guess what I'm saying there is that the, the, just an example, Scotiabank's an example, the banks are sort of leaders in understanding uh, the naming rights type of concept. And, you know, they're not, they're not, as, as we all know from service charges and fees, and they're not going
0: to throw their money around without understanding. Um, so both of those, you know, you could still, if it was just based on that, you could still kind of argue, okay, greater awareness, you know, maybe you can argue the emotional connection to to the bank, um, but does that really drive an ROI on an $800 million investment? Uh, but this last, the last point, share, you know, share of market, and then again, another line taken from from the CBC article, and this is quoted of um, one of the VPs of, of Bank who said, you know, consumer research done for the bank uh, that shows that, Uh, people who are aware of its financial support for hockey are three and a half times more likely to consider using its services. So there, there's kind of the the numbers that that they're looking for to say that, you know, this is really actually going to help our, our market share in, in, um, in Canada, uh, but particularly within kind of the hockey market in in Toronto. So,
1: um,
0: and just take that
1: microcosm, you know, the one example I'm going to give is a lot of, again, people are listening here, you're, you know, um, municipality related or some some of you guys swimming pool you know most cities have swimming pools in some within inside the facility or are are the pool areas or those swimming centers sponsored and then if they're not do you not think companies that make suntan lotion or companies that make bathing suits or companies that make uh, towels or companies would be interested, you don't think Speedo would be interested in having their name on the swimming pool. They'd be more interested in that potentially than anything else. And to your point here, if it was called uh, Speedo Swimming Pool at Durham College, uh, there's going to be a propensity just like that three and a half times that the people that are using that pool, seeing Speedo's advertisement and having all are going to have an affinity to that uh, situation. And that's where Nike and Under Armour and Reebok and companies like that are very good. But again, this is something new. This is not... A, that's an example of something that's not traditional. But why can't you sponsor your athletic center or your, as you said, box office or your swimming pool or your squash courts or your... Why, why not? There's no no reason not to and again i think what's exciting too is there's companies that would be interested in that so don't second guess yourself there's companies to be interested usually the reluctance interesting enough comes more from the property than it does from the sponsor and it's not part of defined inventory and it's not there it's not an option yeah
0: um so shifting it back to to the the property side and then as they're uh, considering, you know, selling these naming rights, it's very common um, to kind of stop short on on this list and really focus on a lot of the share of mind that you know a naming rights is going to really, in, you know, increase awareness and and all that kind of stuff. But as a property, if you can really show how this is going to, yes, do that, but also how you're going to leverage the emotional appeal as well, and if you can actually get down into the the weeds of it and show this is how we think it's going to impact your actual share of market much easier to justify because of the large expenditures on, on naming rights can get a lot easier to uh, to justify for that company that it's a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Uh, so some factors that kind of go into um, the value of naming rights, I mean, like you kind of you mentioned, it's different for every company. Every company is going to place a different value on a naming rights opportunity. Um, their potential ROI could be different based on what their lifetime customer value is and, and things like that. But... You know, some things that there's lots of things that could influence the um, the value of a particular uh, naming rights opportunity, but a couple that we did want to spend just a couple minutes on. Um, so the first one, the importance in the community. Uh, so that really being a influencing factor on the value. So this is you know, in the case of uh, we were talking about the you know what will be Scotiabank Arena and the importance of that building to the hockey community. You know, arguably. You know, I know. You know, in Toronto, we like to think we are the center of the hockey universe, but um, you know, arguably a very important venue, anyways, for the hockey community, and then a very important venue for Canada and for and for Toronto in particular. So, um, a big factor in influencing its value in terms of a, a naming rights opportunity. Um, annual attendance. I mean, that seems like a pretty obvious one that's going to influence the the value of a naming rights. Uh, the potential for activation, I think, is one that. Um, can kind of sometimes go, go undervalued because, you know, the thinking being, you know, naming rights, a lot of it about awareness. And, you know, when we think of naming rights, you know, we think of that kind of marquee signage on the building or, you know, the the company's name as part of the event logo or things like that. Um, But the ability to take it beyond just a branding and awareness piece and take it to the point where you can actually activate the brand even further, that can really drive value. Right,
1: so a good example, using the same example, let's say Coppertone, it's Coppertone Pool. Well, that's fine. You can have a sign, and you can have some branding, and you can have some logo. But imagine if Copper Tone, uh, six times a year, or once a month, did a did something where they gave away samples, and they had people there talking about the UV protection of Copper Tone and why it's the best value, and they gave free samples to everybody who was there. Um, you would think that a percentage of those people, not only that are at Copper Tone pool, not only that got Free samples from copper tone, but are also there's a propensity. There are people that probably like swimming or have some, you know, involvement. Um, a percentage of those people, the next time they go to buy lotion, probably going to buy copper tone. So if you can look at that and say, okay, 10%, 20% of a thousand people are converted to use our product, that's powerful. So that, that's where the activation comes in. That's a lot stronger than just putting your name there. And that's, the onus is on the property. The onus is on you guys here to help the sponsor come up with that. You know, I think a mistake, you know, is going to a sponsor saying, what do you want? Um, if you're, it's your venue, you know, you guys are the ones selling it. I think, um, you know, the prompting, the prompting and the, the you know, discussion about, you um, opportunities that may be exciting for the company are, you know, I think that that if the property is doing that or the event or the facility, I think you're going to increase your chance that companies are going to come forward.
0: Um, So the other one we wanted to just touch on here is term. Um, So naming rights, um, term is a really important factor in in naming rights. Um, On the property side, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where maybe you're changing the name of a venue every three years or or, or every year or something like that. Um, so so term becomes really important for the property. Yeah, but here's where
1: it's here's why it's so great from a revenue perspective. So again, I know I've used the example three times, but you stick with that copper tone example. So somebody says, um, "Yeah, we'd like to put a sign up at your pool," and let's say that's five thousand dollars. or Let's say that's let's say it's a thousand dollars. Want to put their name on? And they put a sign up. Well, you know, you say, well, do you guys want to keep it up for three years? I'd say, no, we'll try it for six months or a year or your summer season. Um, so even if the naming rates is the same amount, even if it's a thousand dollars to name the facility, very unlikely Coppertone is going to want to put their name on the facility. And then it starts to get into social media and people start to call it the Coppertone pool for one year. So, what happens is what would have been a $1,000 sponsor could be a $10,000 or $5,000 naming rights partner, because companies understand very well that if they're doing naming, if they are doing naming rights, there's going to be value. And you know, you're paying for signage and there's going to be value in longer term. So terms important. But again, one thing about today, as opposed to some of the other seminars Naming rates is much easier to sell on a longer term than almost any other form of sponsorship.
0: Right, and if I'm if I'm the sponsor too, um, on the you know on the one hand I, I may like the flexibility of of short term, uh, but on the other hand, like you said before, you know, naming rights the value of them is likely going to continue to go up. So a longer term actually gives me an opportunity to lock in a price over the course of the next ten years or something, maybe ends up saving me money in the long run does and it also takes people a while to start
1: calling it the copper tone pool so you know say i'm going to the i'm going to the um, ajax pool and if you've been going to the ajax pool for five years and all of a sudden it's called the copper tone pool you're still going to probably call it the ajax pool for a while eventually in order to get that in your head and everybody else's head it takes time it might mean you have to go there 20 times so it might be by the third year that you're finally calling it the copper tone pull and all of a sudden they take their, you know, they pull their name down. So again, the the, the value for a company in doing this is in repeating over and over again. I mean, there's lots of studies on retail. Costco is the most, you know, we've done some work with Costco and Costco is the most notorious for very few people buy a new product their first time through Costco. So if you see something, you see hey they've got a television there and it's great or they've got their hey they're now selling golf shirts something as simple as that the first time you see them there you might still buy your bread and milk and say oh they had some golf shirts it's gonna it might be the third or fourth time you come through there that you actually purchase a golf shirt at costco and i think it's the same thing here that it takes it's just the way our minds work you know so to absorb a, name of a facility is with a company is going to um, take some time. Right.
0: Uh, so just a couple of, you know, t- kind of typical assets that go along with naming rights. Um, there's the obvious ones that I think everybody kind of associates directly with, uh, with naming rights. So things like the marquee signage. So the picture here of T-Mobile Arena, uh, the new arena in Las Vegas, uh, currently hosting the uh, Stanley Cup final. Um, but some dominant branding for T-Mobile there there. Uh, both, you know, statically on the, on the top of the building there, but then the massive LED board on the front there. So, you know, th- that's pretty common with, with naming rights. So, um, regardless of the size of your event or facility or anything, that's one thing you do want to keep in mind is how how are we going to ensure that our our naming rights partner, that you know, a, a you know, patron coming in is not just seeing you know uh, sponsors kind of scattered evenly across that they really get that feel that oh the naming rights partner has a dominant presence. Um, you know, there's the, the logo, so custom logo for, uh, for venues or events that includes and integrates the the sponsor's, uh, name and, and mark into, into that logo. That's fairly common. Um, then there's all your other things, you know, your directional signage, your web and digital, uh, exclusivity we talked about is a big, um, pretty standard that comes with most naming rights is that there's going to be exclusivity for that category, uh, along with it. But all that stuff really is, is really kind of surface level. It's the, it's the tangible things that come along with the naming rights. But what, what they're really buying, and it's what you kind of just touched on there, is that it's the casual conversation between two people. Right. Um, you know, where's the game tonight? It's at the Rogers Center. Right. Um, where are you going swimming? Going to Copperton Pool? Like that's really the the asset that they're, they're buying, is that the casual references uh, between the people. So I um, so wanted to kind of touch on who who are the like? Who are the companies that are most interested in, and most commonly interested in naming rights opportunities? Uh, and we took a look at some of the the OHL uh, buildings and their naming rights partners, and it can serve as a pretty good example of of who is most commonly interested in these types of opportunities. So if you look at you know, the Meridian Center in St. Catharines, uh, Sleeman Center in Guelph, the Budweiser Gardens in London, um, one thing that all those naming rights partners have in common is headquarters. Or a significant footprint in those communities. Uh, so one thing that we find is very, very common amongst companies that are looking to do naming rights is that they have a strong local footprint, whether that's a significant number of employees or you know a significant um, you know number of customers um, that are in that area. Some sort of significant uh, local footprint. Um, they also, this is a big play to to get into a naming rights. Um, so. Tends to be a company that's looking to be that dominant leader in in their category for that market. They want to they want to differentiate and, and distance themselves from their competition by showing that they're on a completely other level than uh, than their competition. Um, and it's often more B two C. So companies that are looking to target consumers directly, they're more often going to be those naming rights partners with the you know simply just because a significant amount of the value that's derived from naming rights is in that. That brand exposure and that that awareness and that share of mind and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. tends to be more B two C companies. So, so as you're looking at your assets and you know maybe considering and naming rights and and um, you know, who to approach for for naming rights, it's it's going to likely be one of those type of companies. Somebody that's got a local significant local presence wants to be a dominant leader, um, more B two C than a B two B type of company, and that can help you kind of narrow your search a little bit for uh, for a naming rights partner. Um, the other point I wanted to touch on here is just the length of the sales cycle for for naming rights. Um, what, what have you found, and was that uh, you know how long it takes to, to really find a partner? I mean, I this? think it's
1: an interesting. I mean, we we've done some situations that take took long. We did uh, worked on one that took almost two years. I think part of it is you know um, pricing is tricky. You know, what's the valuation of a facility? How hard do you, or how long or how hard do you hold? with a specific price, uh, finding the right fit. But there's some situations that are very quick. Um, I think because it's a large asset, I think don't assume it's gonna be sold overnight, but I I would say you have to be proactive. Uh, If you're reactive, it's gonna take a long time. People aren't gonna necessarily come to you and say, we'd like to sponsor you or put our name on our soccer center. Again, the onus is on the, with a lot of things, the onus is on the property to sell sponsorship, as opposed to expecting people to walk in your door and buy it.
0: Building a rate
1: card and saying, here's how much it's worth and putting a press release out is not going to sell your name. So I think, again, some people get confused and think somehow that the job isn't completed until sales made. So creating inventory and decks and pricing and valuations is the beginning. It's not the end. And sometimes I think, again, with nonprofits and municipalities, there's this huge effort to create pricing and build inventory, and then a lack of interest or commitment to selling companies into that. inventory.
0: Great. So, so our takeaways really for today, um, one naming rights, big opportunity for properties, um, big opportunity for sponsors as well. So um, uh, really. And, and we're seeing it much more often now. Uh, the mindset really has changed. People are much more comfortable with the idea now. So uh, probably not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Yep. Uh, it's a big decision. So there, there are pros and cons to, uh, to it. So you want to evaluate it carefully and make sure that um, you're considering all the, the uh, potential pros and cons before entering into a long term uh, naming rights partnership with, uh, uh, with a particular company. Um, and it's most likely going to be a significant local business. Uh, but local business means, you know, business that has a significant local presence um, in that community. Yeah, that's
1: what I said. So, when you say a significant local business, it can be, it's, it's a business with roots. So, Tim Hortons Field, you know, Tim Hortons was founded in Hamilton. Tim Hortons is obviously a massive company across Canada now, it's global. Tim Hortons Field is in Hamilton. So, I think it can be, if you look at your city or your area and see companies that have a Heritage, or a presence, or a lot of years there, or it's a foothold. Uh, I agree; those those are places to start. Anyway, Paramount, by the way, was one of those examples. Paramount was founded in Mississauga. Okay. Uh, I don't think they would have been comfortable naming a if you would have called them from any other city. It's unlikely it would have happened. It was either we're going to do this in Mississauga or we're not going to do it at all. So yeah. terrible.
0: We hope you enjoyed our discussion on naming rights and marquee inventory. This was our final episode of our 10-part sponsorship series, so if you haven't checked out some of the earlier episodes, you can find those on our website or wherever you're listening to this show. Regardless of whether you're new to sponsorship or a seasoned vet, there are always new ideas and best practices that can help you and your team, so we hope you'll give those a listen. If you have any questions about sponsorship or anything related to revenue generation for your sports or entertainment organization, you can always find us on social media including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, or by email at infocosmosports.com. We'd love to hear from you. My name is Evan Colborn. Thank you very much for listening.